Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. We are ready to try to present a summary of 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is Paul's second epistle that we have. Okay, I'm not saying there were not other letters, but I'm saying that we have in our in our New Testament, in our Bible, uh, this is the second, and that's also believed to be Paul's, possibly Paul's last letter, uh, as he was awaiting execution from his second Roman imprisonment. I do not know much about this imprisonment, so I'm not going to speak to that. And I'm sorry if that's incorrect or a failing, but I really didn't consider that to be super important. Hmm. Anyway, maybe I was wrong to not consider that, but nonetheless, it's not something I know much about, and it's not, um, I don't get a, so far from what we've read, I do not get a clear idea of what it's concerning. However, in this letter, Paul is waiting execution, and he's talking to Timothy, and in this first chapter, he's encouraging Timothy to to stay with the gospel, to uh, hold on to the gospel, to guard that knowledge of the gospel in his heart, and of course to, you know, continue to grow in that. And uh, he he reminds us, all of us, that God did not give us a spirit of fear, but has given us a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. And that's that's very important. So remember, and you, you remember that in verse 7 of chapter 1. And he tells him also to not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or about me, his prisoner, he says, but take your share of suffering for the gospel. And, you know, that's going to happen sometimes. Sometimes we're given a hard time for our belief, and, and, some, and sometimes not. I've not faced a lot of conflict over my belief in my life a little here and there but uh, not a lot but um, so he encourages him and he lets him know that you know people have deserted him have fallen away from him while he's awaiting you know while he's been going through this trial and and, and is awaiting execution and he's hoping that some of these people will find mercy from the Lord you know, he's, and he reminds him of, who is this? Oh, I have trouble with some of these names, so bear with me. Oh, Onesiphorus, he reminds him of Onesiphorus, that uh, he was very helpful to them in, in Ephesus. So in chapter 2, he encourages Timothy again to be strong, be empowered in the grace that is to, that is in Jesus. Um, you know, to he again says, "Take with me your share of hardship, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus." And he he makes a reference here. He makes a comparison to being a soldier for Christ and not getting embroiled as a soldier as a part of the ministry, not getting embroiled in mundane civilian things, but but keeping yourself focused on the things of God and your ministry. And then he also makes a comparison to if you're being, um, as if you're being a competitor in an, an athlete 
and competing in a competitive game that uh, you know you don't cheat you have to play by the rules you have to accomplish and compete with others according to the rules you can't cheat or or do things incorrectly you have to follow the rules and everything must be done in the appropriate manner so for you to win because if you cheat and you win you will be invalidated and it won't count so so actually you didn't win if you cheat and that's the idea there and then he also makes this third comparison or um, I guess that's the best way for me to look at it I, if I'm if you if I'm saying that incorrectly you can let me know but uh, it's kind of a comparison saying that the hard-working farmer should be the first to receive his share of the crops meaning when you're the uh, the minister and you are I'm trying to say this the right way and you are you know creating the harvest then you should be able to be adequately compensated for that and I as I said I think that is not just a not just a earthly worldly thing but also a spiritual thing in that you will be compensated and blessed for that so there's those three comparisons I thought were very interesting and very good um, being a soldier for the Lord being a competitor in the race for the crown you know that we get from the Lord and being the hard-working farmer in the field and bringing in the harvest and being benefiting and being blessed from that harvest ourselves just something to think about those those comparisons in those verses that is in verses by the way let me tell you that's in chapter 2 verses 5 through 7 I think it's very interesting uh, he says think over the things I'm saying for the Lord will grant you insight and understanding in everything so I don't know if he was purposefully okay I said 4 through 7 okay it's 2nd Timothy chapter 2 4 through 7 if I if I said 5 through 7 I apologize but it's 4 through 7 and uh, <clears throat> at the end the way he says this and, and I say at the end it's just in chapter it's just in verse 7 um, think over the things I'm saying for the Lord will grant you insight and understanding and everything it's like these sayings here that what he's saying he wants he wants Timothy to make sure to think over these and understand what he's saying so I don't know if he just did not have a time or chance to elaborate further or what. Now he did mention down in the next bit, he says, remember Jesus Christ had risen from the dead, descended from David, uh, according to my gospel, for, for that I am suffering even to the point of wearing chains like a criminal, but the word of God is not chained or imprisoned. <coughs> So, and he says, Paul says he is willing to patiently endure all things. And then down in verse, let me see, verses 11 through 13, Paul mentions that, you know, if we've died with him, we will also live with him. This is, these are encouragements to us, okay? If we have died with Jesus, then we will live with Jesus you know, in forever, in eternity. If we endure, 
we will also reign with him if we will just endure this life and and stay faithful you know not that we won't make mistakes we're going to make mistakes but if we endure and stay faithful we will also reign with him if we deny him this is kind of like a warning if we deny him he will deny us but know that if we are faithless now and I'm not quoting this exactly I'm I'm just telling you what it says if we are faithless the Lord God remains faithful for and here this is a quote for he cannot deny himself well that's because he is faithful he is true and and true to his word and he's going to stay faithful and righteous to us all right sorry for that interruption so anyway so in chapter two here um, these you know these are encouragements encouraging Timothy and thus encouraging us to continue and to remind us that God and the Lord they are faithful to us even even when we mess up even when we are faithless they are still faithful to us pardon me again <laughs> it's one of those warnings anyway um, so he continues on in chapter 2 you know saying to remind people you know of these facts and you know the fact that that God is faithful and that if we die with the Lord then we will live with the Lord and I got off I you know I talked about baptism and all when we were going through that chapter but um, he also encourages us to study and do our best to be approved, you know, uh, to be God approved in the word and tested by, by trial. Um, but avoid irreverent babble and godless chatter. And he does mention some who say that the resurrection has already taken place. And I guess that people had missed out on that and. I'm not sure how that would help you or be good for you, but it undermines the faith he, uh, Paul mentions here. But uh, then Paul talks about comparing us with vessels, um, trying to keep ourselves clean and make ourselves good and honorable vessels for the Lord so that we can be useful to God and to run away and stay away from um, our youthful lusts, which, you know, Timothy's a young man and he's just reminding him of this because we know that all, you know, all young men, most young men, maybe I shouldn't say all, most young men are going to have some struggles with that type of thing. Instead, he reminds us to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Um, and then we move along. And he says that the servant of the Lord must not participate in quarrels, that we must be kind to everyone, and that we should, you know, we should uh, teach and correct those with uh, courtesy and gentleness, if, if, if indeed they're wrong. But to not get caught up, actually that may be elsewhere, where he says not to get caught up in stupid controversies. No, that's here. He says not to get caught up in unedifying, stupid controversies. You know, uh, foolish speculations. Now we do like to speculate and talk about certain things, but we know that in the end these things are not really that important. Uh, some people get caught up in, well, what, what is this 
I don't believe that Eve actually sinned by just eating a piece of fruit. You know, I don't believe that was the actual act. Well, I will tell you what the actual sin was. The actual sin was not believing God and choosing to believe Satan. Now, that's the actual sin. Regardless of whether they actually ate a piece of fruit or whatever. Though, I don't know why it can't be that they just ate a piece of fruit. I, you know, if we're going to say the Bible, okay... Now, for people who are very literal, I just want to I just want to bring this out. If you're going to say that God actually did create everything in 7 days and it's literal 24-hour days, then if if the Bible is literal about that, why would it not be literal that she simply ate a piece of fruit? I've heard people try to twist that into all kinds of things having to do with sex and other stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't believe that because that was never, it was never stated or even hinted at. So I don't believe that. Um, what I do believe, though, regardless of whether you believe she ate a piece of fruit or not, that the actual sin was they did not believe God, basically calling God a liar, and they chose to believe Satan. Now, that's my take on it. So just, just saying. All right. So anyway, <laughs> that's one of those speculations. Sorry. <laughs> and you say you can tell I, I still, you know, because really there's no need to speculate about what uh, what actually happened or what they did. I, though I, again, I don't know why it can't be that they just they just did what they were not supposed to do because they chose to not believe God, and that's that was the sin. You know, here God had said you will surely die, and they chose not to believe that, and. You know, so their real sin was just that they did not believe and trust God, and they did the wrong thing. Okay, I don't, I, I shouldn't get off on that. Nonetheless, so then in chapter three of Second Timothy, Paul talks about um, that. You know, in the last days, dangerous times, things you know are going to come, and people. He has a whole list of how people are going to be. They're going to be narcissistic, lovers of money, revilers, disobedient, ungrateful, unholy, profane, and he mentions a lot of things. Uh, they're going to, they're not going to have, you know, uh, they're going to be unloving, um, devoid of self-control. They're going to be haters of good and traitors and reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure. And he also at the end adds on holding to a form of godliness religion all they although they have denied its power so in other words they're going to claim and act outwardly as if they are holding on to their religion and godliness but they're actually going to be full of all this stuff they're going to be narcissistic lovers of money boastful arrogant revilers disobedient to parents ungrateful unholy profane unloving irreconcilable, malicious gossips, devoid of self-control, brutal haters of good, traitors, reckless, conceited lovers of pleasure, and yet all the while holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power in their lives. So, for their conduct nullifies their claim of faith, is what this says here in the Amplified. So, that's a big deal that we're going to have people, and we do have people 
like that. We know we do. That they had people like this back thousands of years ago who were being untrue and deceitful and so we have them now too. And Paul tells them the reason we know they had such people, Paul says, avoid these people and keep away from them. So we know that, that they had them even then. Uh, for among them, okay, for among them, so meaning some of these people um, are ones who prey on morally weak and spiritually weak people, or in this case he mentions specifically women. And this is just one of those days where my phone is going to go off a zillion times, so I'm sorry, bear with me. So, um, and he talks about them praying, and this is this is his example, he's saying, because some of these are preying on the morally weak, the spiritually weak, and they're using um, basically false teachings and, and whatever. Whatever will get them what they want. They're, they're conniving, they're, they're lying, they're doing whatever. Um, and these people that they're preying on are people who are susceptible because they're they're always learning, listening to anybody who will teach them, but they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth, meaning they just don't understand. And they, they leave themselves open to this, to be preyed upon by these people. So, Paul reminds us and Timothy that we have his teachings and his example of his, where he's gone, you know, um, his conduct, his faith, his patience, his steadfastness through persecutions and sufferings. And, and you know, uh, Paul has been rescued from all of those. And he, he believes earnestly that he's going to be rescued here. Even if he is put to death, he's still going to be rescued. He's going to move on to be with God, to be with the Lord is, is gain. So, uh, But he's telling, telling us to continue in the things we've learned. And uh, that we should continue to behave publicly and privately. We should behave honorably and with integrity. And let's see. Is this the last? Let me look here and get this. So this is the verse. Okay. And at the very end here, verse, sorry, verses 16, 17. All scripture is God-breathed. In other words, all scripture is from God. All of it is good for our instruction and our correction and for our training to live in and understand God's will, both publicly and privately, making sure that we're behaving properly and acting with honorably with personal integrity, so that we are, uh, and he's, they say it this way, uh, complete and proficient, outfit and thoroughly equipped. I'm going to say so that we are ready and prepared for every good work, for every new day. We're prepared for every day so that we will know how to act and react and how to handle things and um, every day so that we are equipped for life every day for whatever life may may present to us. So, so that is what scripture is for. It's for our instruction and our correction and our training so that we will be equipped to handle life every day. That's the simplest, most basic way to say it. That's what God always intended for us, is to have his word to be able to live life properly. So, 
Now we're going to move on to the final chapter here. And real quickly, there's a lot, there's not a lot here. There is, I mean, there is and there isn't. Some of this is some personal things, and some of this is uh, definitely things that we can all take away. Um, he charges Timothy to continue to preach the word, and thus us also to continue to preach the word, to continue to spread the gospel, to correct those who are um, possibly in error, to exhort and encourage those who are growing. You know, all of that is very important. Um, and he warns again that there will be a time when people will not tolerate sound doctrine and ac accurate instruction from the Word of God. That they're going to want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear what is pleasing to them, and that's all they're going to want to hear. And they're going to get teachers who teach only that. And I, I, I know of examples of people who... <sighs> I don't, I don't remember the denomination, but a church that basically they had a preacher who was very politically correct, and that's what they wanted, and that's what they wanted to hear, and they did not want to hear any of the other things that did not fit the politically correct agenda that we hear today, and this was really just a few years ago even, um, you know, murdering babies is fine, that's, that's your right, um, Choosing whatever partner you want and having whatever you want in how, whatever way you want it, that's perfectly fine. You know, and, and we know these things are not, they're not good. They're not good for you. That's why, that's why we're not supposed to do them is because they're not good for us. It's not to be mean to us, but it's because we're trying to be good, um, to each other that we would correct each other and say no that is that is not correct you don't want to do that that is bad for you that hurts you spiritually emotionally physically in, in all, all ways so but nonetheless but they don't want to hear that so they they have you know they have a very PC uh, service and they uh, it's just strange. It's strange to me. I, I don't want to get into a lot of details, but it's just it's just strange to me that that Christians would want to accept so many things that we know are wrong and harmful. And and when you promote those things, you're promoting people harming themselves even. And and I just can't I can't promote that. That doesn't seem correct to me. So. Because I believe that the, these things that God tells us not to do and tells us not to be that way, I believe the reason is because he has said so, that they're harmful to us, that they hurt us, that they're not good for us. And that's why he's, we're his children and he's telling us, whoa, don't do those things. Those are harmful. Those are bad for you. So anyway, so and Paul continues to encourage him to continue to do the work of an evangelist and perform the duties of his ministry. And um, he mentions that, you know, he's already being poured out as a drink offering and that he's going to be executed soon. He's going to leave and go free. So, but he knows that he's going to receive the victor's crown from the Lord because he's done what he should have done and he's, you know, he's been faithful and and doing the right things. Then he has some personal concerns, and he's asked uh, Timothy to to bring some stuff to him, to maybe bring uh, uh, Mark with him because he's been helpful in his ministry. And he mentions that uh, 
some people who have left and deserted him. Um, and he warns him to be careful of this coppersmith, Alexander the coppersmith. So um, that sounds like that person is probably in Troyes, maybe, in, uh, in Greece. Uh, so be careful of him because he has been really hard against them and persecuting them. And Paul mentions that at his first trial, no one supported him, but God took care of him and delivered him. And he says the Lord will rescue him from every evil assault, and he will. He will always, and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. And that's true for all of us, that God will always do that. He will always rescue us, even if we perish in this life, which eventually, if we continue, the Lord wills, we will eventually perish in this life. Um, it's been a very rare person that didn't. Uh, I think we have a couple mentioned in the Bible, but nonetheless, um, and that's just the way things work. And he will take us on into his heavenly kingdom, though. So we will be, we will actually be fine. To die is gain. It is to be with the Lord. So then he encourages Timothy to try to come to him before winter. And I think that's because he feels like his time is short. Um, I don't know what actually occurred and whether Timothy was there or not. And then his final, his final line in the letter to Timothy is, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. And so it's it kind of, to me, it's a little on the sad side, but on another way it's not. Paul is, he knows he's heavenward bound. He knows everything is going to be fine in that sense. And what he's trying to do is, I think he's trying to encourage and turn over his ministry to Timothy. Uh, also others, I'm sure. But uh, Timothy was the one he considered to be like a son to him. So, in the, in the ministry. Alright, so that's the end of our summary for Second Timothy, because there's only the four chapters. And I know I've rambled on, and I probably went off on some tangents, but uh, hopefully it was all good and useful. I want to thank you for listening. The Lord bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.